Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing So James 4, verse 5, the second half of verse 5 there is where I'm going to start, and I'm going to move through the first half of verse 8. And so a couple of things that are woven together here that I'm going to point out, some distinctions. But man, let's just start with this idea. And it goes in with what I prayed earlier right after worship here, where it says, the spirit that God breathed into your hearts. You know, sometimes we get, we get moving through Scripture and we pass over phrases like that. The Spirit that God breathed into your hearts. The Barak, the breath of God. You know, the first verse I ever remember, I was a little kid, I memorized this verse. I think it was like one of those youth things where it was like Awanas, where, you know, you get, it's almost like you get a little merit badge if you memorize scripture. The first verse I ever remember was Genesis 2-7. I'm a little boy, and I remember, and God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And this whole thing about the breath of God has stuck with me since I was a little boy. And um, there have been times when I think my soul has been craving for that breath or that wind. That's why I love riding motorcycles or going really fast on a snowboard. But I think what's really happening there is I love experiencing the breath of God. And so when you think about this, the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. I don't know what version you're reading. I'm reading the Passion Translation because I like that language. But you think about it. If this morning's emphasis is on intimacy with God, it starts here. Who breathed into you? I mean, God himself breathed the capacity, the desire, the the orientation and the longing for love breathed into you. And this spirit is a jealous lover. Now, James is speaking to this in this contrast between loving the world and loving God, and he's confronting us. If you remember, the first part of James 4 was like, don't fall in love with the world, because when that happens, it's almost, well, it's not almost, it's It's an adulterous relationship that you're having spiritually. It's like you were designed to have intimacy with the one. And the world entices us and traumatizes us at the same time, and we develop what I shared last time as this uh, spiritual Stockholm syndrome, you know, where we grow these affections towards our captors in the world, and the prince of this world has no good intentions. 
I mean, no good intentions at all. And so it was interesting because I had a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago after I read that passage, and I was asked, you know, it's like, so what kind of stood out? And they were like, wow, it's like God doesn't just desire more and more of us, like larger numbers of us. He's desiring more and more of me, all of me. And that was like a light bulb. And it was just like, yes, exactly. There, there's a desire of God for all of you. And so let's keep moving through here. So uh, verse 6, God continues to pour out more and more grace upon you, for it says, God resists when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. Verse 7, so then surrender to God, stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will flee in agony. And verse 8, this is kind of the point here this morning. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come closer to you. Your translation may say something like, draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. We're going to just pause there. We'll move through this a little bit. But I want you to know something, that when I was driving up to Elk Camp, bright and early on Friday morning, I got a text. And it was a text informing me that my dear friend Reed Grafke had passed away. Dear, dear friend. And there's a couple of things about Reed that I know. First of all, um, he tells horrible jokes that are hilarious, and I should not ever repeat them in my entire life because they're bad. Like, bad. And, um, and on the other end of the spectrum, he's one of the most intimate men when it comes to his relationship with Jesus. I've, I've witnessed him down in uh, Dallas, Texas. There was a conference that I went to, and... Um, I mean, Bill Johnson's down there and other people down there. There's, you know, over thousands of people down there at this conference. And Reed shared. And Reed, I don't know how he did it. He would cry through the entire message when he would share about intimacy with Jesus. But it was not like um, the kind of crying that's awkward and hard to listen through. It drew you in. Like, you're like, yes. Here's a man who understands the dynamics of what it means to be intimate with Jesus. And he's able to share that with thousands of people in a way through tears that hits the mark. And it just draws you and invites you into a closer connection with Jesus. He's also one of the most fierce warriors I know in the kingdom. And the interesting thing about his love for Jesus was that became his weapon. The only book I've ever received from Reed, and it was a thick book that I'm actually not, I'm confession, I've not actually read the whole thing, because it was, it's called um, The Christian in Complete Armor. It's about that thick, and it's all about spiritual warfare. So you got this guy who has like it's not a like departure. It's not like two ends of the spectrum. It's like Brian Fenimore said last week. Anytime Jesus or God through the scripture talks to us about spiritual warfare, he always brings in the intimacy piece. There's a bridal paradigm of us having union with Christ that is hand in hand with the dynamic of who we are as empowered people 
kingdom people on the earth who have the authority and the capacity to move into this world in such a way that we make a difference and an impact, and we'll look at this here in just a minute. So it's not like two separate huge topics that are being smashed together here when James is talking about us resisting the devil and move your heart closer to Jesus. Move your heart closer to God. It's not like it's, it's not like two separate things. It's like, okay, so let's move through this important dynamic here about spiritual warfare that'll kind of be the on-ramp to getting our hearts a little bit more focused on, on what I want to share. It says, stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will flee in agony. Can I just say, and these are epiphanies that I'm having recently, can I just say that the, the intent of evil is to sever relationships. The intent of evil is to sever relationship, to keep you from being yourself. Could I, I mean, I just was thinking about this like a couple weeks ago. I'm like, wow, the intent of evil is to keep us from being ourselves. It's to keep us um, ignorant of who we are, keep us ignorant of our identity in Christ, to keep us ignorant from how God has created us, to keep us ignorant from our design, which always points towards a purpose, keeps us ignorant, 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 by turning on us constantly those accusations that convince you that you're worthless. Or me. I mean, I'm just like, that voice of diminishment is real. And that voice of shame is real. And shame is like a sledgehammer that keeps us from knowing who we are and living out of the, the, the power and the glory of who God has created you to be. So evil's intent is to keep you severed, not only from the relationship that you have with God and other people, but initially, initially severed from even your sense of self. So the intent of evil is to sever you from relationship with yourself and of course, with intim- from intimacy with God. And also to keep you at odds with the people in your life. I mean, if you think about the intent of evil, it's just to sever a relationship. Which really just points to the fact, I mean, the, the enemy is so, I don't know, it just shows his hand all the time. Just totally shows his hand all the time. It points to the fact that the most powerful dynamics on this planet are intimate relationship. <laughs> Like you living out of who you really are, your intimate relationship with God and relationship with each other and loving one another. Man, if those things are functioning, then rock on. You know, the kingdom of God is advancing. All right? So the word devil here in James 4 is the word uh, diablos, which um, means a slanderer, a false accuser unjustly criticizing someone in order to condemn for the sake of harm with the intent to sever relationships. This is out of the the lexicon that you can find online. When you put in the word devil here for this verse, it's talking about all of these things. But it's not just um, spiritual. This This word could actually also be used for a human being who is a slanderer, a false accuser, criticizing someone in order to condemn them for the sake of harm. Okay, and we'll get to that in just a minute here. But in this context, the source of accusation is the Satan or the Satan. Now, when you start to look at the spiritual hierarchy, which I've just started to get into about a year or so ago, George Wood was turning me on to this book, 
and it started to talk about different um, names for angels, including fallen angels. And the Satan, or the Satan, is a word for the prosecutor. It would be like holding a position, like it's a, it's a, like a, yeah, like a prosecutor. So when you think about this accuser accusing the brother night and day, bringing accusation, you know, against you, not only to yourself but even to God, um, this is the role and this is the function of the Satan, the Satan, the devil. And so, it's common for us to understand that. Um, that while the source of that accusation and the source of that slander and the source of that condemnation is from the Satan, the Satan, uh, the prosecutor, it's, it's really common for us to understand that people in our lives can also be a resource. So you got the source and you got the resource. You got the, you got the transmission station and then you got the relay station. Cheyenne Mountain has all those relay towers, right? That's not the source. That's just bouncing the signal so that you can pick up Fox News. Oh, wait. Um, so, <laughs> all right. So the point being that there's Satan and then there's like the resources or the relay stations. And all too often, I've been a relay station, unfortunately. All too often in my weakness and immaturity and brokenness and inconsistency, I have been a relay station for the accuser. And all too often, the people closest to us tend to be that sometimes. And so, yet as we look at the scripture, we're told in Ephesians 6, verse 12, that your struggle is not against human beings, right? Your struggle is not, I mean, if it has a heartbeat, it's not your enemy. But it's with the highest principalities and the authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realm. For they are a powerful class, this is Ephesians 6, 12, they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. So both James and Paul encourage us that our greatest posture in resisting evil is to do what? Stand. Stand. Stand firm in the strength of God's mighty power. And when you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand. Because the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? So we stand. And when we stand, it's the enemy who flees. Because in our standing, we're resisting. It's a form of resistance to stand firm in the power of God's mighty, what? What's the most powerful force in the universe? Love. So this is the tie-in. This is where intimacy and spiritual warfare start to come together for us because we're standing not in the strength of our power, not in the strength of the prayers that we've memorized. We are standing in God's love. And when Jesus walked the earth, he was, he was the direct portrait of the invisible God and Jesus was love on display. Jesus was God's kindness, Titus says. When the kindness of God appeared, he saved us, not because of the good things that we had done, but because of his mercy. And when Jesus says, hey, when I come and I start casting out demons, you have to know it's because the, the, the kingdom of darkness is coming to an end, and the kingdom of light is coming in full force. And the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, emanates from the heart of the king, and everything about the king is love. God is love. So the most powerful force 
on the planet is love. And we stand in that. The Aramaic translation in this passage that says, the accuser will flee in agony. I mean, that's why I like the passion translation in this case, because it's like, oh yeah, I like that. That, that imagery of like agony. Like, okay, spirit, the spiritual forces screaming in agony, not the human beings. Like, I never want a human being to be in agony. I want human beings to actually be delivered from the bondage of, you know, just the barrage, you know that people treat others the way they treat themselves. So if they're mean-spirited, can you imagine what their internal life is like? So when Jesus is saying, look, I want people set free from bondage, he's talking about liberation of the soul, and he's talking about learning how to receive, be transformed by, and begin to express the love of God. But the Aramaic translation in this passage here, it says, the accuser will flee in agony because, and this may not be in your translation, because of the one who stands with you. Because of the one who stands with you. Draw near to the one who stands with you. Cultivate intimacy with the one who stands with you. You want, you want freedom? I mean, you want more victory in your life when it comes to spiritual struggles and battles? It's like intimacy is your answer. I remember a season when, when I was a younger Christian in my walk, I remember um, when the light bulb came on related to resisting the devil, what it means to resist the devil. I had been learning about spiritual warfare. I had read the book, This Present Darkness. You guys remember that book? Talk about the 90s. That book freaked me out. And then every time I went to an arcade, I was looking for demons. <laughs> it's true. I went on a fast track, man. I was like soldiering up. Because, you know, I'm a young man. I'm like in my late teens, early 20s, and, you know, we all want to be like, I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe this is a confession. I don't know. I wanted to be powerful. I wanted my life to matter. I wanted to have impact, and I wanted to see, I wanted to see the kingdom. of. I didn't have the language for it, but I wanted to, I, at least that's what I was telling myself. I wanted to see the kingdom of God advance. Yeah, so, um, so I got trained up to resist the devil and the authority of Jesus Christ, and it was all good stuff. And after a long season of this, I realized that I was spending so much time focusing on the devil and flexing all my new spiritual muscles that I had actually drifted away from my first love. What? I thought I was going crazy when that happened. That's a confession. I was like 21 years old. I was going to college. Maybe I was 20. In my mind, I was just like, just getting wrapped up. Like, it was really wild. And I remember this, this really is a confession. Like, I wasn't planning to tell you about this. But I think it's important because some of us, we struggle in our souls in such a way that we literally think we're going crazy. And there was a season in my life where I thought, my goodness, I'm losing my mind. 
I can't focus. Maybe it was the stress of college. Maybe it was just all a combination of things. But I do remember that it was tied directly to this emphasis that I had placed on spiritual warfare. And I believe I was becoming an unnecessary casualty of war. Because I had lost my focus. And the thing that saved me, and this is going to tie into the practical part at the end here, uh, the thing that saved me in that season was literally, I would say for at least six months, I can't, th- I can't remember exactly, but at least six months, maybe closer to a year, I, I, put, I put this intention in my heart. Every time that I prayed, I decided I was not going to ask God for anything. I was only going to praise him. I was only going to acknowledge who he was, and then I was going to worship. Like I began this like journey of like gratitude. So I would say that that saved me in some ways. It got me out of that funk. I'll put it that way. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So there it is, you know. And another time I remember this, I was in Nepal. So this is now later in my life. I had moved back to Woodland Park. I was running youth ministry over here, Highland Youth Ministry. I point back there. There's nothing back there but a playground now. But there used to be a cabin back there, and it used to rock with all these kids that were coming in, and we used to do these mission trips. And one of the mission trips that I went on was actually um, to go and pray. You guys remember that season when the church was really like mobilized to go into what's known as the 1040 window? which is that section of the world where the most unreached people groups are. So I was going into places like Nepal and, uh, and other places, India and places like that. And I went on this one particular trip to Nepal. And I remember our team went to this one, per, this one spot. It was where they cremate dead bodies. And then they push the ashes into the river that flows into the Ganges. And I remember our modality back then. Our modality was like kind of the same, you know, just coming in there, flexing your spiritual muscles, taking authority, you know, and using all the amazing scriptures that give us courage to, you know, step into spaces. But I didn't understand at that point spiritual protocols. We weren't invited in there, and there was, you know, I can talk more and more about that. But I would just say this, that we went in there to tear some things down not to build anything up. And I remember standing in that spot, just praying like there was literally a fire. There was a a human body being burned right there. Rivers flowing right here. There's all the Hindu worshipers. And I remember just like, I can't even really remember everything that I was praying. But, you know, it's kind of like, thank you, Lord, for helping me learn some things over the years. Because what ended up happening was I got oppressed by this spiritual force that took me to my knees. Literally, I could not walk out of that space. My team members had to like arm over the shoulder me. I wouldn't say I was dragging my feet, but I was having a hard time standing up. So the word oppression, we know this word, right? I mean, it's like, wait. There was a an army back in the day, they were known as the oppressors. And what they would do is they would, tie you, they would tie you down and then they would start to stack rocks on top of you 
until the rocks got so heavy that your chest could not inhale or exhale and you would suffocate under the weight of that oppression. Now that works when it comes to like understanding like sometimes the spiritual oppression is so heavy that you just don't feel like you can breathe. And so, so this is where the rescue came because my friends drug me out of there. We went back to the house. They started praying for me and it lifted. And then that night I had a dream. I remember it distinctly. And in that dream, it was a dream about Daniel It was like I was looking at the scene, Daniel in the lion's den. And you know know the story. I mean, there were men who surrounded Daniel who plotted against him. Okay, so they were the relay stations. And what they had done, they could not figure out a way to to like trap this guy. Like he was innocent, as innocent could be. There was no way that they could convince King Darius that this man was guilty of anything. And so what they ended up doing was convincing King Darius, hey, let's have a 30-day period where no one will pray to any other God or to any other person than you, King Darius. And he agreed to that. And then Daniel continued to do what he always did which was cultivate intimacy with God. And so in those 30 days, Daniel knelt on his knees three times a day and he worshiped God and he praised God. And when Darius actually found out, he was distressed because he really did like Daniel, but he could not go against his own edict. And so Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. So in my dream... I hear the Spirit asking me, what is Daniel doing while he's in the lion's den? Well, he's doing what he did before he was in the den. He's praying to you, and he's worshiping you. And then the Lord was like, what is he not doing? I was like, kind of stumped. He's not kicking lions. I was in that spot in Nepal kicking lions. And it was just like, oh, oh. So from that moment, like some things started to change for me. That was an aha moment for me, right? Yeah, it was really scary too. I mean, I came home wondering if I was going to have some kind of disease, if my kidneys were going to stop working. Well, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. The physical of that oppression was real. So that being said, the focus of Daniel's life was consistent wherever he was in whatever situation he found himself in, he was cultivating intimacy with God. And his life was marked by this intimacy, and this is the way that he was standing strong in the might of God, even when he was being falsely accused and condemned literally to death. And it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. We live in this world, but we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, and we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, against knowing God. That word knowing or knowledge is yada, which means intimate knowing. So the intent of evil is to prevent us from intimately knowing God, and the weapons that we use to, we fight evil with an opposite spirit. 
Let's just put it that way, all right? Um, I'm not saying don't engage in spiritual warfare. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, for me, uh, my journey had brought me back to intimacy. Because it's, it echoes with the teachings of Jesus in John 15. Abide in me. Abide in me. And I in you. The spirit that God breathed into you is a lover. Abide in me. Constantly. And your life will be fruitful. And it'll be fruit that remains. So those young, energetic desires to be fruitful and impact the world and make a difference, yeah, great. And the kindness of Jesus was to bring me back to my first love. James 4, 8. Actually, let me, let me back up. I want to finish the story the next day after my dream. We went to temples and pagodas and the focus shifted to finding my abiding place with God and focusing my heart's attention. And so it was really about praying for his love. It's when I started to shift my attention that if my weapons are contrary to that of the world, instead of going in there to fight and tear things down, I want to go in there and build things up. So I started to actually pray in the affirmative. That's why even when I pray for this city, I'm asking Jesus, Jesus, what, is, what has always been your original intention for this city? What has always been your original intent? Because I want to pray into that. I want that to be built up, Right? Yeah, and if stuff gets in the way, then we'll deal with it. But we'll deal with it, you know, by standing on what we know to be true, and that is that God loves this city, and he loves the people who live here in this region. And so I'll pause on that, and let's move into James 4.8. James 4.8, move your heart closer and closer to God. I love how it's like spoken in such a way that we know it's a process. Closer and closer, and closer, and closer. His heart is so vast. And like the song said, he's not teasing us. He's not withholding aspects of who he is to tease us. I just think he's so vast that there's always more, and we're just constantly like in this instinctive sort of awareness that what I do know about God, it's amazing, and there's more, so there's a bit of that tension in our hearts. I mean, wouldn't we all just love to be like there entirely? I'm not even convinced Reed is there entirely right now. You're like, wait, he's in heaven, right? Yeah. And he will have, and you and I will have, an eternity to discover deeper aspects of who God is. That's my belief. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you. Now, I love the Aramaic translation in this phrase, God will come closer to you, which is more accurately like in the Aramaic. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will be touching you. He'll be touching you. I think this is important. The distinction here is really important. 
Because at first glance, if we were to look at this phrase, and maybe your version says it this way, draw close to God and he will draw close to you, that puts the onus of intimacy on you. And that's not accurate. It's important here because transactional relationships always place the onus on you. Transactional relationships always put the onus on if I, then God. But it's different here. It's subtle, but it's a, I think it's a really powerful misinterpretation of the gospel of Jesus. And we've all been susceptible to it. I mean, we've all been under that influence of this transactional relationship, if I, then God. And I don't think, James, that was his intention. I just think the way it got interpreted, it, it, it lines up with that subtle messaging of if you, then God. If you draw close to God, then God will draw close to you. Can you get it? I mean... God initiates. God initiates. We call that grace, right? And we respond, and we call that faith. So now it's like, because God, now I. You know, it's like, it was God in Christ who reconciled us to himself. God in Christ reconciled us to himself. Now we get to choose if we're going to respond to that. It's Christ who tells us in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. And if your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, I will come in to you, feast with you, and you will feast with me. In other words, I will breathe my spirit into your life. I will unite with your spirit and you will come alive. So it's by faith that we receive the grace that's available for us today, and it's the power of God at work within our lives. And so it's what we call love, right? So this is love in action, like, okay. So according to James 4, 6, God continues to pour out more and more grace on our lives. He is constantly pouring it out. In fact, I reference Titus where it says that when the kindness of God appeared, he saved us, not because of the good things we had done, but because of his mercy. And it says, and he generously pours out his spirit into our lives to wash us and to renew us. It is an ongoing process, and we get to receive it. We get to be touched by it. Or we can block it. For real. Hariyaka. Because our souls are not accustomed to intimacy. Our souls learn not to trust. Our souls have been damaged and wounded by the world that we grew up in. Some of you have had amazing upbringings. Your families. We're incredible relay stations for grace and love and God and beauty. Most of us, however, did not grow up in that environment. As good as our parents were and as hard as they tried. And I would say that even myself, I can't speak for Tiffany. She's perfect, actually. She's pretty amazing. But I think our kids actually have suffered as well, even though we tried everything that we possibly could to convey to them the love of God. We just know that this broken world impacts us all. And so what am I saying in that? I'm saying, I don't know how I got on that. Maybe somebody needed to hear that. Keep displaying all the love 
of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and teaching the truth about who God is and be there to help bring repair when your child's heart is wounded. So then how do we respond to this? Oh, we were talking about blocking it. That's what it was. And we create these elaborate fig leaves. You remember the original story of Adam and Eve, right? Remember what shame did. Man, shame, again, severed that relationship, even from themselves, like they saw themselves and they felt shame. So the distancing was happening internally before the distancing happened with God when they were hiding themselves in the bushes. And then that distancing continued when they were just, you know, creating these elaborate fig leaves. And so we do that with God. We do that. Okay, so I'll leave it at that. We have opportunity to grow closer. And so how do we do that? How do we respond to this love and move our hearts closer and closer to God? Uh, James really puts it in here already, right? He says, God gives grace to the humble. So humbly receive it. This is what we would call surrendering to God. When you think about surrender, I know it's like, it's often been um, tied to obedience. You know, you surrender to God, therefore you, you live the Ten Commandments and you don't sin. And it became about sin management. Surrender to God and don't sin. What if surrender to God was receive love? Here's another one. So that's the first one, humbly receive the love of God, surrender into it. So that's the one. Here's the second one. This one may require an entire sermon. Take your hooks out of God. In other words, ask this question. Is God the lover of my soul or is he the genie in my bottle? Remember that six months to a year where it was like, I'm not going to ask God for a thing I'm just going to express my love and my gratitude, and I'm going to acknowledge who he is. What if that became the basis for us experiencing a type of love that we're not accustomed to in this world? When all the love that most of us have experienced have had some hope for payoff, some hope for return, some hook. And we grew up, and it's learned behavior, and so all of our love, you know, tends to have these conditions attached to it or some hope, subtle as it may be, for a return, some gratification. And what if we just took our hooks out of God and said, God, I love you, period. And I want to receive you for who you are, not for what you can be for me. It's part of that humility piece. It's part of that surrender into the love of God. And then thirdly here, allow yourself to explore, discover, and relate to the Trinity of God, the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God. Discovery is an ongoing thing, like I said. And I think that if we allow ourselves to explore and discover and to stay curious and to relate to the different aspects of who God is in different seasons of our life, I think we'll discover intimacy growing and growing. Can I tell you that when I got saved, I received God the Father. And then it took many years for me to actually discover what it meant to be a son. 
And part of that was my curiosity and fascination with the Holy Spirit because it took a relationship with the things of the Spirit, learning the, the language of the Spirit, learning the mysteries, you know, and just being okay with that for the Spirit of adoption to help me cry out, Abba, Father. So it ties. And then, can I just be honest with you, like within the last maybe eight to ten years, I've discovered aspects of who Jesus is that I never knew. And he's the most kind person you'll ever meet. He's the most kind person I've ever met. So I just think that this curiosity and this fascination, this is what, this is what we can do to just kind of help ourselves enter more fully into intimacy. We humbly receive the love that's being initiated by God to us. We surrender into that. We take the hooks out of God and he stops being our genie in the bottle and he just starts to become the lover of our soul, period. Regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in that you wish you could be out of, that you wish God would just snap his finger and make it all change and go away. What if it doesn't? Can we still find a source of strength in the midst of the struggle And I think we do this by allowing ourselves to explore and discover and relate to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think this is an ongoing process. Now, here's some practical things that we can do on the daily to help cultivate this. Some of you, you've been walking in this stuff for many, many years, and you could teach me a thing or two about this. And I'll admit that, for real. Because I've been with you, and I know your stories, and I've walked with you. And I've heard the incredible accounts and testimonies of how God has met you. It's just fascinating to me. Like, for example, Dana, was it two or three weeks ago you lost your wedding ring? She texted me right after church. I think I lost my wedding ring at church. You came in, you looked all around or something. I can't remember. Yeah, I was gone. And then you're like, no, I didn't find it. And then you found it, and you found it because Jesus had actually given you a picture of where your ring was, and it was in a house you don't even live in. You go there and work there sometimes, and you were there working, and your ring fell off, and I mean, it's just like, wow. To me, that's just such a picture, not only of like God's power to reveal to you through image, through intimacy with the Lord, to fulfill the deepest longing of your heart to find that ring because it was a gift. Wasn't it Tim's grandmother's or somebody like that? So it's an heirloom. It's not, it's, I mean, it's a big deal, right? And for Jesus to show you exactly where it is, to, to me, that's, that's, I mean, it's a wedding ring. It has everything to do with intimacy, I just love that. And so what can we do on the daily to help cultivate this? And I would say, listen to him. Can you share one more thing about that? Yeah. Um, I had, a few weeks before, God just said, I didn't have any pain, just to say thank you. You know, like, you're having this pain, every time you have pain, just say thank you. And so then whenever I lost my ring, I was like, you know what? 
yeah. Yeah, the thankfulness. So it goes into like the second point here. The first one was listen to God. And so you meditate on God's word and you meditate on God's voice. I had to make the distinction between the two. I grew up where the scripture was the word of God. It was called the word of God, but it was more of a text that you use to win arguments than it was a text to usher in the voice of God. So we meditate on the word of God until it becomes the voice of God for us. And then that leads us into the second thing here. Allow your spiritual senses to commune with God. Jesus says, those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. You have spiritual ears to hear. You also have, as Paul points out when he prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you can know God and the hope that you have. Like, there are spiritual senses that we can see, we can hear, we have an intuition to know. So bless those. I bless them. I bless your spiritual senses. That when you set time apart to meet with the Lord, to, to listen and meditate on his word and his voice, and then allow your spiritual senses to commune with God, don't be surprised if you see pictures. Don't be surprised if you hear things. Don't be surprised if you have a deep inner sense of knowing. That's all part of your intimacy with God. And then, as been, has been uh, pointed to already a couple of times, make a, t- make a point to devote some of your prayers as an offering of praise and worship, distinctly different from your petitions and your you know, supplications. I would say that that is one thing that you can do to help cultivate intimacy with God. So I'm going to wrap this up, okay? Um, and let me just offer just a recap briefly, because I know we just dropped a lot on you. When it comes to responding to the love that God is initiating towards you, humbly receive it. Consider that surrendering into God. And then allow yourself to explore, do I have hooks in God? Like, or am I willing to meet God wherever I'm at and whatever situation I'm in? And even if my situation doesn't change, is that going to be a deterrent? And I think as we mature in our intimacy and our love with God, uh, we'll discover that, um, just like Daniel, regardless of what situation you find yourself in, it's, you, you'll have some consistency in your intimacy with God. Okay, um, And then allow yourself to explore God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, don't put the roadblocks up on one because you've had a trouble in the past with maybe a church culture that maybe even abused you in the name of something. I don't know. I mean, it's just like allow your heart to be healed and move past that. And then I think on the daily, some spiritual practices, and I'll call them spiritual practices because, again, it's not that transactional relationship, if I, then God. A spiritual practice is more like positioning yourself to receive the grace that's available for you. And one of the great ways that you can do that is to listen to him by meditating on his word and his voice. Allow your spiritual senses to commune with God, your spiritual ears, the eyes of your heart, your intuition to know. And then make a point of devoting your prayers to the offering of praise and worship. So that's just a recap on some practical things. And uh, my goodness, we covered some ground here, you guys. 
So with that, I'd love to just pray, okay? There's two things that are highlighting out of what I shared. They, neither one was on the page. So I was riffing a little bit when I was talking about that feeling that I had as a younger man where I was losing my mind. And then the other piece was about parenting and about um, regardless of how hard we tried as parents, our children were impacted by brokenness in this world and maybe even through us. Those two dynamics, I think, are real that we face. And I want to just, I want to pray specifically one and then the other. Jesus, for anyone in this room or who are listening, if they struggle with a sense of like any confusion in their mind, any sense that they're losing it, any sense that they are broken in their thinking and their emotions, I pray, Jesus, right now, come with your healing. Come and bring comfort and strength. I pray, Jesus, that you would restore, even at the physical level, restore the right balance of chemistry, restore just even neural pathways, restore the integration of different facets of the mind, where prolonged stress, trauma, or even shame has disintegrated aspects of who we are, I pray that your love would come now. Come, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. I pray that you would place your hands, Jesus, on top of their heads. And let the healing virtue of Christ flow out of you, Holy Spirit, come, to bring realignment and wholeness. And I pray, Lord, that you would surprise us, surprise us with how powerful worship is to restore us to right thinking. Surprise us with how powerful gratitude is to restore us to right thinking. I'm just going to speak a blessing over you in the name and the authority of Jesus. I bless every facet of who you are to settle into the truth that it's going to be okay. Jesus really is ministering his love to you. He really is bringing restoration to you. I bless you to find safe people to have conversation with around this. I bless your heart and your emotions to come kind of back into alignment with the truth of who you are. I bless you with wholeness in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would seal all that work that you're doing by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, God, that each one of us are hidden in you. And in you we live and breathe and have our very existence. And so I thank you that none of this
will be robbed from anyone in Jesus' name. And I thank you, God, that you have begun a good work and you will see it on to completion. Thank you, Lord. Now, for those of us who are parents, you know, parent guilt is real. And I just want to bless you as a parent to hear Jesus speak words of affirmation and comfort to your hearts. There may need to be some confession here, you know, not only to Jesus, but there may need to be repair that you need to offer to your children. I don't know in the way of asking for forgiveness or having an open, honest conversation about ways that you've responded to them. So there, there may be regret. And I just want to bless that healing process that there would be repair to any rupture that has occurred in your relationship with your kid. But really, I just want to also just speak the truth that God the Father is the most amazing parent, and so I just want to bless you to experience even a reparenting yourself as you're allowing intimacy with God to inform how you see yourself and you see the people around you, your kids. So I bless you. And I want to join with you right now in praying prayers of protection over your children. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that just a real hedge of protection would be around each child that's represented in the families here in this room and those who are listening. That there would be protection against the evil one that would want to bring destruction to their life. I pray, God, that you would protect them uh, just even from the messaging that is being delivered to them through the world. And I pray, God, that you would not only give each parent here, but even their kids a discernment and a wisdom that's beyond their years. I pray for that spiritual gift of discernment, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would usher each one of our kids, regardless of how old they are, into like a deeper awareness of your goodness. Those who have walked away from you, those who have like animosity towards you, I pray that your love and your grace would reach them, God. We just want to bless you as parents. I want to bless you with wisdom in the name of Jesus. I want to bless you with joy. I pray that the the life hack that you experience as a parent is like, the power of joy. I pray that the joy of the Lord would be your strength. I pray that the joy of God would give you endurance on those hard, long days. I pray that the joy of the Lord would just be poured out into your life right now. I'm just praying for the oil of gladness to be poured into you as a parent. I also want to pray for hope. I'm covering a lot of bases here. I just feel like this is something that the Lord is asking me to do just as a a spiritual influence in your life and someone who wants to ally with you and join with you as parents. So Jesus, bring hope, the hope of a good outcome. Thank you, Lord. And finally, Lord, I just want to pray for deeper intimacy as we grow closer and closer to you. 
And we didn't really touch on this, but Lord, I'm looking forward to all the ways that you're going to meet us in this, like that phrase, you know, and you will touch us. Like, thank you for touching Dana. The testimony of you touching her through intimacy with you. Thank you for that gift. Thank you that that is a gift to us as a community to hear and to know that you're working and you're drawing us in. So we say yes to you. We choose to humble ourselves and surrender into your love. And I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.